Welcome to the Do Divorce Right podcast. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and I'm here to help you transition through your divorce with ease and integrity, to not only survive the challenges of your divorce, but to thrive as you come out the other side of it with a much better life than you ever hoped possible. On this show, we talk about many different aspects of divorce, interview women who have their own incredible divorce stories, or those who can offer some great advice as you go through yours. The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey. Well, if you've been seeing my stories, you'll know that I was very keen to get Jackie Clark back into the studio to talk to me about financial abuse. So uh, for regular listeners, Jackie was on last week's episode and I've grabbed her, brought her straight back in to record another episode, probably a shorter one, but we're really focused on financial abuse. Jackie, thanks so much for making some time to come back and talk to us about this. Oh, it's great, Becca. I think it would be incomplete if we didn't have this conversation today. Me too. And I didn't want to wait weeks as the follow-up either. So I'm just so pleased that you made some time. Um, even though, you know, I'm in Shanghai and we've had to figure out our yes. schedules. Thank I'm you. really pleased we have. Thank you for making the time, Becca. <laughs> yeah, no problem, of course. Um, so before we kick into the details of what it is and what people can do about it, can you tell me a little bit about your experience as an advisor of families and wealthy families? What have you seen in the area of financial infidelity and financial abuse? So I think the most important thing at the outset is to really make a clear point of definition between financial infidelity and financial abuse, the latter being much more serious form of abuse. So financial infidelity, and I I guess I've seen a lot of this, I I think most marriages break down as a result of a form of infidelity. And in fact, financial infidelity, I think is a a cause of a third of uh, marriage breakdowns or divorce. So let's sort of set that at the outset. Yeah, Most people um, experience financial infidelity. It starts with sort of basic money cheating. So it's the first signs that uh, people have their individual financial lives in a marriage and you're unaware of the activities of your partner financially. And so I think um, this can start off really simply with somebody just having their own uh, credit card that you don't know about. And I've, I guess I've seen so many circumstances like this. And in fact, I've been contacted as an advisor to keep things separate for people as well. So uh, I do see it. And and perhaps more with wealthy people, I see financial infidelity because people keep secrets or tend to keep secrets about money. And people aren't so thinking about it either. Again, this is vastly contrast from something like financial abuse, which is coercive control. It is illegal. It is illegal in Australia in every state except except New South Wales. Uh, And it's... So it's yet to be criminalised in New South Wales, but essentially it is a form of domestic violence or abuse Uh, and it is costing a fortune. They estimate that I think one in 30 women suffer financial abuse and up to one in 50 men suffer financial Mm -hmm. abuse. And I I believe statistically something like uh, it cost the economy $10 billion last year. That's extraordinary. But there's a massive cascading effect of financial abuse. Uh, and typically, I mean, this happens to smart people as yeah, well. Of course. And this is where I've seen it occur. 
probably one of domestic, domestic abuse by the way any kind of abuse you know yes. it, it's awful yes. to think that you, my in my first marriage I was um in a physically abusive relationship and you know I'm a smart strong you know sometimes aggressive assertive woman and I was like how could this possibly be happening to me? I'm no wallflower. I'm not the typical domestic abuse, uh, you know, victim. What the heck is this? And it took years to kind of unravel unravel that. You know, it happens to absolutely anybody. So you're right. It does happen to smart women. You're you're no less wonderful because this is happening to you. Somebody is abusing you. Um, yes. Tell me. Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. So something, something like 600,000 Aussies in the last 12 months um, have been impacted by financial abuse. It's pretty extraordinary. And, and no doubt it comes in many forms. But in yeah. terms of the, uh, the the sort of quakes, if you like, that come from it, you think of money being withheld in relationships. So this is that starting point, um, refusal to contribute to household costs or household bills, refusal to contribute to shared costs of children. These things happen in marriages, though. So we're right. talking about financial abuse in relationships. This is not when people have, this is not the secondary half, which also occurs when people, when marriages break down yes. and then people are in that position seeking or asking for money. It's another form of control um, that is exerted upon a victim uh, and it's um, very unkind and very devastating. So I can share a great. I can share a story with you that really sort of emphasises how this financial abuse pattern, if you like, has evolved or have, can evolve in relationships. Absolutely, like yes, of course. So um, a lady that I knew, a successful professional woman, entrepreneur, um, had a great, great uh, business, and then moved into state as a result of her husband's relocation. He was in a senior executive position. So she actually really had to quit uh, the business that she was running where it was because it was quite locally based uh, and, and put aside the uh, sort of additional aspects of the business that she was running uh, in New South Wales. And they did, did move into state, into a, a sort of regional area as well. And once they relocated, and I obviously not going to name the person, but let's call her Jane for argument's sake, yeah. she found it really difficult to find another job. And actually being a, a professional woman herself, um, she had a great CV. She was sending it out and she actually felt that um, she was quite stressed. Sort of the understory or the side story to this is that during this period of time, as a couple, they were undergoing IVF. Right. Which and, is and I think everyone such knows. Such an investment, it, yeah. Emotionally, investment. financially, physically. Exactly. So it's, it's a really time-consuming process as well. So no doubt quite a distraction. Uh, and during this period at home, her husband was sort of encouraging her just to stay at home. And it sort of started this way and then he started giving her a bit of a budget um, to help sort of manage costs at home while she wasn't uh, in receipt of an independent income. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so she she made every effort to stay within that budget and did sort of regular planning around things like the weekly meals. You can imagine the pressure also of the cost of the IVF treatment. Um, Definitely. Was impact on their overall household costs. The good news was during this period of time, she became pregnant. So she was had a successful IVF treatment 
And so then became sort of the change in life of managing expectations. So essentially being a stay-at-home That's parent. right. She's not looking for a job now, yeah. No. And so then being reliant again on her um, partner in this case and finding it more and more difficult to manage to this sort of grocery budget, if you like. And then the difficulty was then her partner started to become uh, more inquisitive and putting more pressure on her about how she was spending the money and wanting to get copies of receipts uh, for what she was spending. And, of course, she or Jane didn't have the visibility of their bank accounts either. So um, just this incredible pressure continued to build. And uh, over time, the financial abuse got much worse um, to the extent where it was incredibly difficult for her to manage a budget, but also there was zero encouragement for her to get out of the house. So her husband really or partner wanted to keep her at home uh, and and to a point where she was essentially 100% reliant on her partner. And you might people might be hearing this saying, not going to happen to me, but there is a very strong track record of successful women falling into these um, traps, if you like, um, being in these relationships and actually being gaslighted as well. So gaslighting is really quite typically an aspect of financial abuse, so where someone is essentially trying to trap you. So for Jane, her options were being reduced. Yes. But naturally she was... She, Mum, she her, she'd lost her financial independence um, through circumstances that just you know naturally evolved. So it's a it's a very um, sad situation, and incredible people feel incredibly trapped and scared to leave. And we know that with financial independence comes power, as with money comes power. Absolutely. And. And the hard part about this is is trying to then exit a relationship or uh, a marriage when you don't have any money, no, no financial means. That's right. And, and that's one, of things, one of the things we touched on in the last episode was that a lot of people will stay in an unhappy marriage because they're afraid to lose financially or because they're afraid about their financial situation when they come out. So what steps could Jane have then taken I mean, it's from an outside perspective, it's always easy to look back on the story and see what got you there. What did she do or what can she do to reverse where she's at, take it back? Yeah, it's a, it's a great it. question, Becca. And it's a great question and it's an important sort of striking point, I think, for all of us to recognise this, that it is important that we are aware of our financial circumstances. Absolutely. So my advice to someone like Jane would be to help her plan an exit from the relationship. But in order to do that, you need money. So the first thing I'd be doing is talking to someone that she can trust. Um, and and at that point in time, I'd probably uh, document anything I could um, with this trusted friend. But I'd also take photocopies or photos on my phone um, of any of the information that's impacting the relationship financially. But I'd also consider things like having a, a new email address that is not connected in any way with my partner or my partner's not aware of it so you can send information off to a trusted third party yeah. so that there's a sort of documentation sort of kept somewhere on the side. Yeah. The other thing I would do is talk to people about well, obviously connecting with other family. People from the outside would 
and believe that this is happening in a relationship. And usually when a smart woman comes along, is like, well, how's this happened to you? Yeah. That's right. If you can't borrow money from family to help you get out, then you need to start some type of business or side hustle. And even if it is something as simple as walking someone's dog, she's got a baby, um, walking dogs, taking on some ironing, things that can be done during the day that don't disrupt the pattern at home as far as the partner sees to help sort of build a couple of things. Confidence, I think, is gets completely smashed or destroyed in these situations. Mm-hmm. But So confidence, building a little pocket of cash if possible um and then starting to work out or find a network of people who can also help you so we talked about the personal finance village before which is having that trusted group of people around you yes it might be a lawyer it might be an accountant it could be a great friend the other thing is reconnecting with your professional network so in jane's case she had a great job um in sydney she didn't have the great network uh, Northern Rivers region of New South Wales, but actually reconnecting with that professional network so that in time, as you're planning your exit, you're also planning a future job that's possibly back where um, where you were working or in the case that you stay in this town that you're in, uh, that network will know someone that's right. that could help you or you have a certain set of skills that would be valuable there. Right. And you also thing, you don't need to be talking about your situation when you connect with them. You don't need to be saying, you know, I'm worried about this coercive control in my relationship. It's simply saying, just checking in with you, what's going on in the industry right now. You know, I've been out for a little while. would love to know what are the themes you're seeing? What are the opportunities? What's changing? You know, I, I kind of miss it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's spot on. You're 100% right. It doesn't need to be about this at all. This is what your personal finance village, your trusted friends and colleagues or family are about. Um, but going to your professional network is re-establishing. I've had a baby. Um, I moved. I'd love to reconnect and I'm looking for opportunities, you know, in the next quarter or something. You know, yeah. do you know anybody who's based in XYZ town, that type of thing. Right. So the other thing is finding yourself a counsellor. Yeah. So um, psychologist or someone who may have some expertise with coercive control uh, in relationships because I think again they're going to help you they're like a resource to help you plan your exit yeah absolutely and then there are support groups around as well so I'm just conscious for this person or anyone this isn't this is very overwhelming like when you discover what's happening to you and you can't clearly see a way out because I think naturally when you've been in dual income families, which most of us have these days, it's really easy to delegate financial matters. And we've talked about the reduction in financial literacy as you delegate. That's and sort right. of naturally thinking about having kids, you might ease back at work or in the case of IVF, so so disruptive that um, you have to think about different options. But if you let go of that information you've got to come up to speed fairly quickly in these circumstances the difficulty is often there's no way of accessing bank accounts you don't have the passwords you don't want to rock the boat and there's obviously fear of other types of domestic abuse or violence that might come into this um as well so um you know treading carefully but i think the main thing is just building up some confidence and that might come through the networking with your former colleagues or indeed just building up this little side hustle whether it's a little bit of consulting during the day um or it is literally the ironing um for locals right. you know it feels like there's a step almost prior to that which is 
acknowledging that this is happening and making peace with the fact that you're you're not a victim exactly, but this is happening to you and that you can take some control, you can take some actions to reverse the situation that you're in. And I think even just that acceptance of, oh, shit, this is where I am right now. This is this is me. I see this. That can take a little bit of time to acknowledge and, and realise you can take action now. Do you know what I mean? There's yes. this point where you, you're just in the habitual way, this is just the way it is, this is my relationship, he wants to see the receipts, I'm given a budget, you know, kind of focusing on having to do what you're being told to do and then just stopping and thinking, hold on a minute, this is, this is really not okay. This is absolutely yeah. not okay. <laughs> because I think coming yeah, to that realisation can take some time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, look, I think we've all been in relationships where we all want the best for the relationship and we always step up to the plate of a relationship. And when you've invested, and particularly I think with children, same thing, you've invested heavily, father or parent of your child, you don't want to uh, bust this thing up. And no. I think we all talk to ourselves about that um throughout the process of relationship breakdown the hardest thing here is yes acknowledging that uh it's wrong and recognizing that these behaviors from your partner are not okay that's right tell me let's um I love that we're able to use Jane as an example I just I do really want this to be super accessible for anybody who might be wondering can we also look at what other early signs could we be looking out for that this might be happening in the relationship or where the relationship is headed. I, I also don't want to dwell here too much because I want to talk about post-relationship, but um, for those who might be thinking I need to get the heck out, yeah, sorry, question, what early signs could we be looking for? Yes, so any any household budget that is dictated to you mm. is a big warning sign <laughs> so perhaps we put that now it's, it's really lovely in relationships when families say here's our household budget let's stick to it which is great as long as we have full transparency so the question is is there full transparency in your household about financial matters that's probably number one there's lots of signs that you could be in a relationship that may be deteriorating in a financial perspective and it's really where people keep secrets about how they spend money the other thing is uh, alcohol addiction or drug addiction, um, gambling, things like that that seem to be sort of off, not on the table for discussion. Yes. Are things to be aware of as well. And it's not unusual for these things to go a little bit hand in hand. So there might be a history of gambling, for example, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, I just punt on Saturdays. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But do you have any visibility of that or do you have an agreement about how much gets spent on Saturdays? Is it 20 bucks or is it $20,000? Um, yeah, wow. And, the, and the, you know, I have been in situations where the bailiff has essentially turned up to the door um, where they're saying you owe X dollars um, and uh, it can be quite frightening for families Yeah, when that happens. Yeah. Shivers. I mean, yeah, I, so I think, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think there's lots of signs, Becca, but the minute you delegate is perhaps the first error that we want to correct or change course on, which is trying to get you back in the camp where there's full transparency about the financial information in a relationship. Yeah, great. 
I love that. Full transparency. I also think this does kind of come back to values again. I, I talk about values a lot, but do you have common goals in place? You know, are, are you still working towards the same thing? And do you have transparency on how you're getting there? Um, so I think that's really helpful. We've spoken about people seeking help and protecting themselves. What about post-separation? I feel like there's so much control that happens at this point, which is an ex who refuses to either pay what's agreed, you know, and and therefore has a negative influence over somebody because we've got an agreement in place, but they're just refusing to live up to it or refusing to agree to a re- reasonable settlement. Are those... Are those also examples of financial abuse or is that a bit of a stretch? I wouldn't, I don't know that is a direct example of financial abuse, but I do believe that it is evidence that the relationship that control by one individual of another individual in that relationship is breaking down. Yes. And it's only going to be a matter of time before A, those things are agreed or B, those monies are eventually passed to whoever's seeking them just takes a lot longer and it's more painful and stressful. So uh, from a from a financial abuse or definitive perspective, coercive control is pretty obviously defined. It's just hard to prove, which is naturally the difficulty with all of these things. No different to domestic um, violence. You know, unless it's witnessed by people, it's very difficult to prove Um which makes all of these things really hard and, and quite sad. No, no different to withholding or holding back on agreeing to a settlement um, when you're going through the process of trying to divorce somebody. Yeah. Um, I just think we're better off if we can do this as quickly as possible for all parties because when a relationship, the relationship has ended it's not great that there's a financial relationship continuing because we all know that if the relationship hasn't worked, money is likely to be a third of the problem (laughs) in any case. And then you're hanging on with this financial relationship that could be until kids turn 18, right? Or longer. So it is pretty tricky and it's a tough course to navigate uh, to get this right. And there's obviously means in terms of closing these things down, but nobody's in a particular hurry in this country to get settlements finalised and monies transferred to spouses or former spouses. I think there's a lot in there about the the right having that conversation, which is to say we are no longer in this relationship. By by refusing to come up with this agreement or refusing to um pay what we have agreed you're trying to continue a relationship here is that really what you want like actually yeah. kind of holding yeah. them up to them which is like are you actually trying to hold on to me because this feels a bit strange um one of the things that we touched on in our last episode which is one of the best ways to really c- create more power i guess and to create distance from this control is to have wealth of your own to be building your own stability and not needing that person's contribution so you know it's it's money for jam when it comes it's great to have and you can invest it and you can put it away for the children but to have your own wealth coming in your own income building your own um what am I trying to say 
without saying well, well. It, I think <laughs> you're, you're absolutely spot on financial independence um empowers us really significantly and it, what was some i remember that old saying is it something like relying on a man or something he's no plans oh, I can't remember that's right the, yeah. word. the man is yeah, not a plan yeah that's that's right um, and I think that all of us, we owe it to ourselves to demonstrate our ability to be financially independent, even if that means you are a good saver or you manage your family budget well, but with complete, yes, transparency in the family. But having something for yourself uh, to keep yourself accountable to is important. And actually, you mentioned it just before around financial goals. Well, you didn't, you weren't specifically talking about financial goals, but when you talk about a relationship, Goals tend to be uh, we're traveling or we're buying or we're selling or we're going to send kids to this school, whatever it is. They are they all have an underlying financial goal. Absolutely. So to agree those, we all need to make contributions to that. And if you're the one who who happens to be at home, part of the contribution to getting to be able to pay private school fees is that we manage how we spend money at home and whether that's the internet, the electricity contract groceries, where they're purchased from, how we plan our meals during the week, all of that comes into as a family setting these types of goals. Financial being a very strong sort of base layer, if you like. Yeah. So for you as the individual, um, regaining your independence first when you're in one of these situations is important. And if it comes even in just the smallest way, like I said, I would never say no to dog walking, but anything that, you know, whether 25 bucks an hour or whatever it could be, just to give you that sense that you've got something for yourself. That's right. And that will build over time. And I do think confidence, it gets stripped, I think, from everyone too when you come out of the workforce, even if it's ever so briefly as a mum, um, it's hard to first go back. I remember three times I, uh, you know, left the workforce briefly to have children um, and coming back you always feel quite, like what's gone on since I haven't been here? And I remember, unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but the internet came in. <laughs> my, my oldest son's turned 25 um, this week and I went on maternity well, leave. Yeah. And the internet in the six months that I was gone, the internet came in and I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be so behind. I won't know how to do use this thing. Can you imagine that? Like yes. I'm sure people laugh, but, like, that was 25 years ago, um, this week. That's incredible. The internet was introduced, yeah. So, But I was overwhelmed by that, right? And change happens when you're away. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, just coming back to that point of dog walking or house cleaning, I interviewed someone fabulous on this podcast. It was one of, I think it's episode two, and it was a woman who had been left, so her her husband left her, Um, The business that they'd owned together went bankrupt and it was like a week before Christmas. And within a year, she had built again a business coaching cleaners because the business that they'd had together was um, a cleaning business, a million dollar business in coaching people how to have successful cleaning businesses. She is now a multimillionaire off the back of having to rebuild from absolutely nothing as a cleaner. So it is an extraordinary. What a great story. And, and everyone can do that. Absolutely. It's not beyond any of us. It's about... We've all got skills. You think about what we do in a home, everything yeah. from cooking a meal. Like I've just paid the local coffee shop guy to buy a tray of lasagna. 
Yeah. Now, anyone could potentially do that. I don't make lasagna particularly well. I'm interested in having that for my teenage son at home so that he's got sort of a backup for food. And, you know, that's just another option. Anyway, there's so many sort of potential side hustles. We're just trying to help rebuild confidence that's right. in, in situations where it's been stripped away ever so just piece by piece or bit by bit. You don't even realise it because you're so focused on the relationship. In this case, like raising a, a child, there's that's a right. lot going on and yeah. all these things just start to slip away. You don't even necessarily re- realise them. I think you've given some incredible advice here about seeking support, identifying the signs, obviously first, um, having, there's there's multiple different ways in which you can get support. I also think it's really interesting, I want to come back to the point you made very, very early on, was that coercive control is illegal. So if you're, if we're seeing that, what does, do you know, what does somebody do about it? I mean, do you just walk up to the police station with your evidence or do you go and speak to your legal aid? I would do either of those things, Becca, if I was in this situation. I just know that it is difficult to document and, as I suggested earlier, making sure that you have started to create a bit of a track record or private diary entries, whatever they might be, things that, again, are kept off-site. Yes. So, if you've discovered or worked out that this is what's happening to you and you've sort of woken up to it and you're starting to make plans for an exit, is how you document it is really important, but making sure that it is sent somewhere safe, uh, not kept. Because I have, um, I'm across a relationship at the moment where I know that the spouse looks at uh, his wife's emails. And so she's very careful about what information she sends out. Yeah. It's pretty scary that sort of um, that that being in that. Yeah. Again, the situation I'm working in at the moment, she's staying in that relationship for her child because he's the father of the child and he's already on to his third marriage, so therefore she doesn't want this marriage to break down. Um, amazing the things that people will put up with over a period of time. Anyway, yeah, sorry, I've gone right. off on a bit of a but, yeah. um, I, I do see good people stay in relationships for their kids and unfortunately when they have this type of coercive control, this um, determination by their partner to control their every move, it seems to grow. It's like a festering sore. When people start down this path, uh, it, it grows. So the perpetrator gets better at it. Yes. As, as, they, as they gain control, they increase their control. And before you know it, you've got no access to money, don't know where the bank accounts are, wouldn't even know if things are in your name. I would yeah. also, I'd like to add to that, but the, the opposite is true. So meaning that as his control grows, if you focus on what you can control, which is collecting evidence, creating um, financial independence, it is, if you're taking actions that are within your control and building your own resilience, uh, having a, a goal in mind, a site, then then that grows too, right? So it, it is true that what we focus on and what we put effort into, our our ability to influence things gets bigger. So yeah. I guess, you know, as early as you can, if you start seeing these signs of financial abuse, address it really early, get boundaries in place, you know, because the, the more you let go, the more it can snowball and become worse and worse and worse. 
And then if you're in that position where you feel I have absolutely nothing, no control here, no ability, taking teeny tiny steps become bigger steps and become bigger steps until you can get out of it. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And, and just clawing back inch by inch. That's right. I do do recognize too, Becca, that people may fear for their safety. We didn't we haven't talked about safety specifically, but I appreciate that in those situations. Coercive control comes in lots of different forms. We've focused today really on financial abuse, uh, but uh, there are safety issues and you do have to navigate very carefully um, with a trusted group of people around to help you navigate your way out. So I just want to sort of call out how um, I do recognise that notwithstanding people may be trapped that they are often in fear of their own safety as well. So it's it's a really difficult path to navigate out. And every step that we today will help form a baseline so that in time, if you're able to successfully exit the relationship, that you start to rebuild your confidence and actually create a new pathway um, that doesn't that can you know end this relationship and help you move forward. Yeah. Exactly. Jackie, you're amazing. Thank you so much. I want everybody to pick up your your book to stop worrying about money. I think even, you know, even the people that I talk to, girlfriends who are in a relatively good place post-divorce, yeah. even we're all still worried about money. So I think great timing that you've published this. I'm so delighted it's out in the world. And thank you so much for coming not on the podcast once, but twice. You're amazing. And actually, Becca, if if it's okay with you, I'm happy to offer to any of the people that listen to this podcast today, well, not today, but when they listen to this, that for everyone who can email me a copy of their receipt for buying the book, I'm happy to send them an additional copy that they can share with a friend. Oh, my God, I love that. I'm I'm happy to double down if you like. So as long as they email me and say, uh, the, the number of this podcast and uh, what the subject was. I'm really happy to send them a copy of the book. Oh, Jackie, I love that. Thank you so much. Um, so just a reminder, if you go and buy this book, email either Jackie or myself a receipt of the, the book and where you'd like the next copy to go to and we'll share it with a friend. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I'd love to do you. The more people we can help because we cover all of this in the book. So the more people we can help, um, the better. That was the mission. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you took something of value out of this episode. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on Instagram at dodivorceright. I look forward to connecting with you there.